Welcome to another episode of I'm Chris the Dom One Podcast, episode 49. We're going to get into it real fast, real quick. It's your boy, the host with the most. We're going to be talking about the Philadelphia 76ers. They fired. They, obviously, they don't trust the process right now. They fired and let go of Brett Brown. We're also going to be talking about the Brooklyn job. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the New Orleans Pelicans job, the possibility of the Houston Rockets maybe moving away from Mike D. Tony uh, if they lose this series. Uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit about uh, Lakers, Blazers, and we're going to be trying to hit up, was I too insensitive when I did the last episode on Tory Lanez and Meg The Stallion. We're going to get into all of that stuff today. How y'all living? I'm living swell. Sipping my tea, so let's get into it, all right? First uh, thing we want to talk about is the, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers has let go of Brent Brown. Obviously, we knew that domino was going to drop, okay? They got floored by the Boston Celtics, okay? After all the acquisitions that they made last season, uh, after all the trust, the process, the movement, when they they just pretty much stunk up the joint for the uh, next several years to get uh, their hands on the picks that they got and they chosen Ben Simmons, uh, Joel Embiid, uh, Tobias Harris signing last year, and uh, Al Horford, uh, Josh Jackson, uh, Ben Simmons, do, uh, Manning the point. Uh, trust the process just didn't turn out, didn't pan out very well this season. Now, I've been saying this on my YouTube channel. And I think I've said this uh, on this particular podcast. I know I've said it on several other podcasts. Uh, w- when they even chose uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I said that that was not going to work, okay? And I gave my list of why that uh, that tandem was not going to work unless they uh, develop in the next several years, which... The next several years are behind us, and they're still the same player, okay? Uh, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid are pretty much the similar... They're like twins, okay? They are masters of destruction below the basket. Their mid-range is weak at best, okay? And their three-point game is non-existent on either player, okay? Either player. I don't care who you pick, okay? Uh, Now, I did say last year that I have seen some improvement in Ben Simmons' mid-range game quick, but it's still questionable. I have seen some improvement in his three-point selection, uh, the, the shots that he's taking, but it's still questionable. It's still spooky. Okay. So I, I was always on the bandwagon of why even draft these two players. And uh, they're in and out of the lineup. They're always uh they're always an accident waiting to happen. Uh and you know, it's just 
too many factors with these two types of players, all right? Obviously, when I look at Joel Embiid, obviously, he didn't really take care of himself the way he's supposed to really take care of himself. Uh, I think that played a part in why they couldn't, uh, why he couldn't advance in the Boston Celtics series, all right? He was, you know, if he really took, I mean, you know, and I think, and I'm not trying to be uh, harsh on Joel Embiid, but due to this pandemic, uh, you know, the gyms were closed. Uh, you, you know, I'm pretty sure he couldn't have trainers, his personal trainer or the team trainer come, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, work out with him. Uh, that dynamic there, you know, the COVID-19, but uh, Joel Embiid is a type of player where he has to take. Uh, he has to take taking care of himself a lot serious, okay? Uh, you know, and he was doing that last year, okay? Uh, uh, you know, I've you know I've heard a lot of stories on how Joel Embiid stayed in shape last year, okay? And he fell off a little bit this year, okay? And and, and you can clearly tell. Ben Simmons took two steps back, okay? He took one step forward last year on his perimeter game and the shots he was taking beyond the three-point line. And he was really working up to where he can really uh, put that in his toolbox, you know, as far as his perimeter, I mean, his uh, three-point game, even though it was still questionable and even though it was still spooky, till the when they... Uh, went to Orlando and, and played the rest the the remaining games of the regular season and in the playoffs he's struggling uh with that and he's taking a step back uh from that not to mention that you know he was injured okay but uh uh you know he was getting a little bit better before um but scratch that he was getting a little bit better this season until the season stopped all right and I, to me me personally when he went back to the bubble i got the suspicion that he digressed some all right so you know i don't know what type of incentives we're gonna get next season all right he, he was injured uh you know in, in when they uh when the teams went into the bubble and into the playoffs, he, he, you know, he could say, I mean, he was injured. He was in and out of the lineup, things of that nature. But when you look at the rest of the acquisitions that the Philadelphia 76ers have at their disposal, Josh Jackson, when you talk about, um, oh, uh, when you talk about Al Horford, Tobias Harris, all of these signings that they signed, let's uh, talk to, let's look at these signings individually. Tobias Harris, they maxed him out, all right? He's in an ironclad contract that, uh, you know, is, you know, the team owes a lot of money, and it's going to be, even if they are interested in trading him, that's going to be a very difficult trade, okay? When you look at Al Horford, very similar. He's not maxed out, but he's got a he's got a he's got a contract that's not really favorable that any team would be interested in as far as a trade. You know, his skills have digressed since he done uh since he started playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, a lot of people were talking about how oh, you know, the Boston Celtics, they're going to 
they're going to lose a cylinder or two because they couldn't re-sign Al Horford. I felt like Danny Ames and the Boston Celtics organization knew uh, what what type of player that they had in front of Al Horford. They wasn't going to give him the money that he wanted, and that's when he went to the Philadelphia 76ers. Me, personally, personnel-wise, I didn't think that was a good move. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't think his skills was going to digress to the point to where it is today, all right? Still, I would not pay that type of money for Al Horford. I would have let him kick rocks and, you know, let him, if there's a, if there's a sucker in the league that's want to pay him that type of money, fine. But I, I thought the Philadelphia 76 were going to be a little bit smarter for that. Obviously, he's got, he can, he, he's bringing veteran leadership, but how much of a price you're going to pay for veteran leadership, all right? That was, that was too rich for, uh, to me, that was too rich for the 76ers' blood, all right? Particularly when you got two players such as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and you look at those two individuals, they're still developing. So you need other players around those two players if you're thinking about keeping those two players, all right? So uh, uh, the, their off-season moves, to me, I, I didn't like, uh, but it is what it is. Now they're stuck with these guys, okay? They're, they're not leaving next year. You're not going to get rid of Tobias Harris. Nobody wants that contract, okay? There's a reason why Tobias Harris was moving from team to team, okay? You know, a lot of people are saying uh, he, he's a you know he's a phenomenal player. He's so phenomenal that the Clippers gave up on him, all right? So, uh, you know, now you done maxed him out with no possibility of getting rid of him anytime soon. No one wants Al Horford uh, contract. Josh Jackson's uh, Josh Josh Jackson at the two is, is is okay, all right. But I felt like they needed an upgrade in the guard position, okay. Or they could, they could have done either or one of two things. If Ben Simmons was you know was you know his learning curve was he was really picking he was really picking up the pace on his learning curve. He establishes his mid-range game, and uh, even though the three-point is the three-point shot is is questionable, he still if he was still improving on that. To me, uh, and, and and you know when when you look at Ben Simmons, a lot of people talk about his his court vision and his ball selection, uh, how he moved the ball up and down the court. Uh, you know, how he put everybody in position, things of that nature, you know, uh, keep, you know, even though you, you know, he, he, he could still be your, your one. If you had a regular, if you had another point guard, you could put him in the starting lineup and make Ben Simmons a two or a three. All right. Most notably a two. Okay. Because yes, he's great, uh, at the point guard position. I'm not taking nothing away from Ben Simmons at that I think he's going to be a great, uh, 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 you know, uh, at that position. All right. But similar to, to LeBron James, if he was, you know, if, 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 if he was progressing through his development cycle, I would put him at the two, possibly at the three. Okay. Because you can always, uh, go into free agency or go into the draft and find you a two, uh, a decent two. Or uh, go into free agency and find you a one, that uh, uh, a shooting point guard. 
All right. Uh, Isaiah Thomas was still on the market, even though, you know, his uh, his skill has diminished. To me, that would have been more risk that I would have took a risk on that than signing uh, Al Horford, in my opinion. All right. I would have saved that money. And when Isaiah Thomas was available or whoever was developed or J.J. Reddick. OK, keep J.J. Reddick instead of him landing with uh, the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. You could keep J.J. Reddick there. All right. And when he was with the Philadelphia 76, he was making a lot of noise. OK. And then that could be your shooting point guard that can always sit in the corner to where. Uh, ben, that helps Ben Simmons develop and grow. Okay, now he can uh, work. He can really focus on his mid-range game, and uh, you know he still got that court vision, and you can still keep the ball in his hand, and he can either give it to uh, to Joel L and B, or kick it back out to uh, kick it back out to JJ Reddick. Okay, and I felt like that was. Those were when those when them incidents were happening. Those were the reasons why the Philadelphia 76 had so much success, so much success early on. Okay, and now you eliminate JJ Rennick from that roster. Now uh, you're, you're you're cutting his growth. He doesn't really have anybody that can uh, he can really kick it out to that's going to make that shot. Okay, so now he's focusing more on. Uh, you know, really focusing on the mid-range game and, uh, you know, trying to uh, push the ball too much to Joel Embiid. And that's affecting his growth and development, okay? So, obviously, I feel like the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, whoever coached that team, they got some decisions to make, okay? Uh, they're Clearly, they're going to have to find another shooting point guard, okay? Like, they need to go back to the roots. Okay, what what made that work? What made that work was you had shooters around those two players. Now, the Philadelphia 76ers organization is saying they're going to keep both of these players. They're they're not in uh, the mindset of getting rid of Joel Embiid. That will be the obvious candidate that's going to be leaving the Philadelphia 76ers. Because when you look at Ben Simmons, there's a lot of potential with him all right he can do a little bit more in today's climate in today's uh this in this type of league where you have an athletic uh a player that can move the ball back and forth who can shoot things of that nature and we haven't seen uh the apex of ben simmons yet all right I feel like we have already seen what Joel Embiid can do, okay? I don't think Joel Embiid can do any more than what he can do right now. This is what you get with Joel Embiid, in my opinion, okay? So, uh, that's, uh, to me, uh, that's why uh, this year they they were really, really struggling, okay? So, what, what? Um, now they're looking at a new coach. Brent, Brent Brown is, is, is gone. There are reports about Ty Lue taking that job. And people thinking of, and then people are kicking the tires around that type of ideal. What can Ty, Ty Lue bring to that roster? Me personally, it really doesn't matter who they get. Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter who they get. They still have a lot of decisions with that roster. I don't think it's much of, well, there was a coach, a, a, a coach away from improving this roster. I think there are two players away from this roster being uh being very successful all right and they're one player away that they already have between ben, if ben simmons learning curve uh improves from the offseason until next season and he can really trust that three-point game where he's uh, making at least uh, 70 or 80 percent of his shots on at the three-point line that is going to be a dangerous situation at your disposal if you are on the other side of the team are you going to allow him to take that shot or are you going to uh you know uh, shut down his opportunities as far as assists goes to other players most notably Joel Embiid you're going to have to double up on him down low okay and a lot of teams can't do not have that luxury all right so um that it really doesn't matter the coach all right. It really doesn't matter the culture. What really matters is their front office and what they're going to do as far as shoot. They need offense. Okay. They need uh, an Isaiah Thomas type of player that can uh, that that they can keep at the corners or keep around uh, the mid range where he's consistent with that shot to uh, get to get the respect from the other opposing team that they're going to spread out their defense instead of just letting Ben Simmons, they rather do or die. They would rather Ben Simmons make a three point shot than Ben Simmons coming through, uh, coming, coming down the court, going to the basket and either, either, uh, uh, putting it in or, or giving it to Joel Embiid or Tobias Harris or whoever. All right. Uh, so uh, there, are, there are player two players away from being very successful with that roster. Not a coach. Really doesn't matter the coach. Really doesn't matter the system. It really doesn't matter. Or if they can't get nobody, then they're going to have to uh, let go of Joel and B so they can get somebody. Uh, I don't know of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, salary cap? Do they have enough room? I don't think they do because that Tobias Harris contract is, is maxed out. Uh, and um, you know, uh, oh, I forgot his name already. Uh, uh, Al Horford, they they're locked to him. Nobody wants that contract, even if they trade him. No team in their right mind would want Al Horford. Okay, so they got a lot of decisions at their disposal. Okay, and I think they're two players away or. If Ben Simmons' learning curve, he develops real fast from the offseason off season until next season. One of those two, one of those shoes are, are going to drop, okay? But they really need to improve that roster and get back to when they had J.J. Redick, okay? They need that type of player for the Philadelphia 76ers. And is that player available uh, in free agency or maybe in the draft? We don't know, all right? So... Uh, moving forward to other NBA news and notes real fast, real quick. Uh, Brooklyn is looking for another coach. And there's pot, uh, there's uh, 
there's a rumor, there's an ugly rumor, depending on if you're a team, if you're a fan of the San Antonio Spurs, of Greg Popovich taking that team. And me personally, I don't think Greg Popovich is going to uh, leave somewhere where he knows his value and his uh, future with the San Antonio Spurs. He's got that job for life. They're not going to fire Greg Popovich. He he has a great uh, relationship with the front office and the owner. He has success with the San Antonio Spurs. His name is linked in par with the San Antonio Spurs. So why would he leave? I think this is, uh, you know, and I think Greg Popovich is in his 70s. I don't think he's going to be coaching much longer anyway. All right. So I think he's going to coach San Antonio Spurs until they improve that roster and until that roster gets better to in a better stand in a better position where they are at today. And I feel like he may coach that team uh, when they get very successful for maybe a year and then he's going to walk away from that job. He's going to retire and he's going to give it to, uh, you know, uh, you know, either somebody in the organization or, 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 you know, or a coach that he's a friend of in the league. Okay. And he's just going to, uh, be in the front office helping San Antonio Spurs that way. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I don't see Greg Popovich taking a huge risk, uh, to leave the San Antonio Spurs to uh, uh, go to, uh, uh, to 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 go to uh, 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 the ooh, to go to the Denver Nuggets. Okay, um, I just don't see that. All right, that's just my opinion on that. I just I just don't see a possibility of that. All right. Uh, I just got distracted there for a few seconds. Uh, bear with me, okay? Uh, so, uh, but who will the Detroit Nets, I mean Detroit Nets, Brooklyn Nets decide on? Well, Ty Lue, if it doesn't work out with him getting the job with um, with the uh, 76ers, which uh, I feel like Ty Lue is Ty Lue's job, uh, unless he doesn't want it. Um, if he's interested in the Nets, I feel like the Nets roster is a lot better than the Philadelphia's roster. Okay, the Philadelphia roster's got some what ifs. I don't know. Maybe with their roster, you already know what you're getting with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. You got Kyrie Irving, and you got Kevin Durant. Okay, and you got a roster that was very successful without those two players. Okay. So you got a good roster. You got a good tandem with uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Would you want to, you know, lay the foundation there or just go to the Philadelphia 76 with a lot of question marks, okay? So that's what Ty, Ty Lue is going to have to figure out, okay? Uh, you know, and as far as, I don't know, me personally, if I had to put a bet on who Brooklyn's going to ultimately get, they're going to get somebody that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant will want. Okay, that are that is friends with those two players, and I feel like they're going to get somebody from the Golden State uh, uh, organ uh, coach uh, tree, and that's an assistant there that who's who's uh, unproven, who's. Um, who, who doesn't have a name, you know, uh, that, 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 you know, a household name. And it's going to be somebody 
like that that they can mold into, okay? Uh, obviously, Kyrie Irving isn't going to, and I feel like now, if, uh, you know, I feel like uh, Kevin Durant would co- convince um, Kyrie Ir- about this person and, um, you know, uh, try to convince him that this person is player-friendly and uh, Kyrie is going to buy into that. Now, if they don't go that way, they'll, I see a possibility of them getting Ty Lue. And Ty Lue is very cold, cordial with uh, Kevin Durant. He know, he has a relationship with Kevin Durant, but he has a, a, a relationship with Kyrie Irving. I feel like that's Kyrie's Irving's job, okay? Everyone's talking about Philadelphia 76ers. I'm looking at Kyrie Irving. I mean, I'm looking at... Um, I'm saying a lot of names like Keith Ty Lue. I feel like Ty Lue fits better with the Detroit, the Brooklyn Nets than uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. That's just my opinion. All right. So we're just going to have to wait and see what happens in the offseason. Okay. But he's going to get either of those two jobs. And I feel like it's going to be the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. Uh, when it comes to the Pelicans, I feel like they're going to get a coach that uh, is going to be much older that can build that roster, uh, establish leadership with those players. And as of right now, I just don't know. I really just don't know because you just don't know what you're getting with the Brooklyn Nets, okay? You don't know what you're getting with Zion Williams, okay? They're going to need a, a coach that's very, very strict, that's going to, that that's, that, you know, has a, uh, that has a resume of, uh, of, you know, you know, making players better okay uh sort of like a um a Greg Popovich okay so they're gonna go more towards an old school type of coach a seasonal coach that could develop that roster I don't feel like you should to me I think it's uh I mean I think it's suicide if you're going to get uh, a young up-and-coming personality or coach to uh, coach the uh, New Orleans uh, Pelicans, okay? You're going to need a seasonal type of coach, all right? And uh, to me personally, I feel like it's going to be somebody from the Lakers coaching staff that's going to, uh, um, uh, you know, it's not going to be Jason Kidd because he's already, I think he already agreed with the the coach, I mean, coaching uh, the New York Nets and um and and uh yeah that's it so uh man i need to hurry up get up out of here <laughs> okay so uh yeah all right so uh, uh that's that's my opinion on on that now uh real fast real quick i want oh um the lakers and the blazers the lakers won last night they're up three to one me personally, the Lakers are going to win that series. I never thought in a million years that Dame Dollar, Dame Dollar and the Blazers was going to win that series. Now, Choke, Chuck, uh, Charles Barkley, uh, that first game, the only game that they won, he announced a sweep. Okay, and I wasn't going to go that far. I wasn't going to. Uh, I wasn't going to. Uh, uh, get on that bandwagon i wasn't going to get on that branch uh i you know i didn't i didn't think it was going i thought it was going to go deep 
I thought it was going to take either game. Uh, it's going to go to game six. Okay. And this game might be a close. I mean, this series might close out in five games. Okay. That's, you know, but you know, you know and, and the reason why I said that was, and, and I still stay consistent on, you don't know what you're going to get from Dame Dollar. Okay. He can have several hot games, but he can have some cold games in between. Now he's saying that he injured his, uh, shooting finger, one of his index fingers, but he's also saying that that's not the reason uh, why he's not lighting it up. And when you got a player like that, uh, you got to ride into the wheels fall off and you got to go through uh, some games where he's not going to be able to score 40 or 50 or 60 points, okay? Uh, you know, he, that's not a consistent uh, you, you can't really depend on that when you're dealing with shooters. You can't go in night in, night out, uh, knowing that that shooter is going to get that is going to throw up that many shots, get a higher percentage, and make those shots. Okay. And shooters, one thing about shooters are players that can shoot. That's the only thing they know how to do. And when uh, they go into that bag. And they don't light it up from the field like they like they normally are capable of doing. That's all they can give you. It's not like they're going to revert back to, well, I'm going to make everyone else better around me. I'm just going to be more of an assist type of person. Okay, no. They just keep shooting until uh, the, the luck goes back to their favor. Okay? And that, I mean, that's not a, uh, that's not a slight to uh, Damian Lutter. It's just facts. Okay? It's just... When you deal with shooters, they, they, and when they're in a slump, the only way, the only way, in their mindset, the only way they're going to get out of that slump is to continue to shoot. They're going to continue to shoot. They're going to shoot them. They're going to shoot their way out of the slump. And I never seen a bunch of shooters. I never seen that work in the history of the NBA, uh, you know, uh, until I, until, until the Golden State Warriors. When they had Kevin Durant, okay, and they had nights where one or one one or two of their players are slumping, but guess what they do? They keep shooting, okay, and they win the majority of those games, okay. So that's the only way. That's the only time I've seen that work, okay. Now, I know there have been other, um, uh, you know, other examples like the Boston Celtics with Larry Bird. Yeah, I know that, okay, but. Uh, when I seen it consistently work is with the Golden State Warriors when they had Kevin Durant or the time when they didn't have Kevin Durant. I mean, uh, earlier in their success, I've seen that work. Okay. But you know, other than that, I, I've never seen that work consistently where you can depend on when you can depend on that consistently. Okay. So that's what I want to, um, let you guys know. Okay. That's what's going on with, uh, you know, and, the uh the Blazers have a talented roster. They got, you know, players that they're still developing that's going to help Damian Litter Litter and Dame Dollar. And uh, you know, even if they lose a series, they're still going to improve next year. I mean, the the future looks bright for the, the Portland Trail Blazers. They're not going anywhere anytime soon, okay? They're you know, the window is not closing on the Detroit. I mean, Detroit. I don't know why I got Detroit Pistons on my mind. The Portland Blazers. Okay. So that's that with NBA news and notes.
Okay. Um, last week, I did an episode on Meg Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez. And the only reason why... Um, the only reason why I want to go back into that because after I listened to myself on that particular episode, this is not coming from what people are tweeting at me or anything like that. I haven't gotten any um, messages like that. Uh, uh, and this is not coming from people that, you know, been rocking with me since day one on YouTube that I that has my email that's also listening to these uh listen to, listening to my podcast it's not coming from them it's really coming more so from me okay because i'm my harshest critic okay you know no one out there can be more harsh on me than me all right uh particularly particularly when i upload a video or when i do these podcasts i i listen to them and and when i listen to the tory lanes one i felt some regret okay I, you know, cause I, I held myself to a, uh, a greater accountability and a responsibility. Okay. And I'm listening to it and I'm saying to myself, some people are going to misconstrue what I'm saying about Tory Lanez and Meg Thee Stallion by key words that I'm saying in that, uh, episode. Okay. One thing I said was there are no victims. And I listened to that and I cringe a little bit because uh, there were victims. Okay. Uh, Like it or not, love it or hate it, Meg the Stallion is a victim. If not a victim, if, and there's a lot of people out there that saying that she really didn't get shot. There's a lot of articles that are pointing out she didn't get shot, okay? Um, but if even if, let's just say hypothetically she didn't get shot, all right? She didn't get shot. Still, the gun fired. Now, he could have been firing up in the air. He could have been firing, like, away from her whatever she wasn't the target still she's a victim of the fact that the gun was fired the gun did fire in her direction okay so she is a victim of that all right um when i said there are no victims i felt kind of cringe about i cringed about that because like it or not, love it or hate it, Tory Lanez is a victim. Uh, before the shooting, there was an there was an argument. There was an and there's a lot of people that are reporting that there was an altercation between the two. Okay, uh, and there are some reports that saying that uh, Meg the Stallion was the aggressor. All right, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what is true and what is not, but what I am, what I am, uh, what I am saying is when you're, when you don't get, when you don't get the story from Meg, the well, when you get it late, 
And when you get Tory Lane's side and you get it kind of cryptic, but both of them are not, you know, cooperating with the police. And I understand we're in a time where we can't trust the police. All right. And I understand what Meg Stein was saying on her Instagram live. She was saying like if she, she felt like if she would have cooperated with the police and begin to talk and, and, and particularly say that she got shot at and, and, and told the whole story, she felt concerned for his safety, how they're going to react to him. All right. And we can, there's a tons of examples of when, when, when you call the police and the, uh, the aggressor happens to be African-American, nine times out of 10, that individual is going to die by the police. Maybe that's too high. Maybe it's not nine times out of 10, maybe it's seven times out of 10, but it's a still, it's still a high alarming amount. All right. Particularly since uh, last night, the police shot a black man behind his back seven times while his children was present. So I could understand her having that type of opinion and that type of mindset. Okay. And she was still traumatized from her ordeal with uh, Tory Lanez. All right. People handle things like that in different ways. There's no right or wrong way to handle trauma. It just isn't. Some people don't cooperate, uh, feel uh, safety concerns, even when they're in the police station and the, uh, the aggressor is locked up. Still, people handle trauma a little bit differently than other people. It's not a right or wrong way of handling it. All right? Understand? So, when people are hammering hard on Meg, going like, that's a cop-out. Uh, you're just saying that because you're hiding something. Uh, you know, you have to give her the benefit of the doubt. There's a possibility where... There is a strong possibility where she, the reason why she didn't fully cooperate with the police is because of those examples. She felt safety and concern for herself as well as, uh, uh, I'm about to say Trey songs, uh, Tory Lanez. And she's trying to deal with the trauma, the, or the, the ordeal that she was with, with Tory Lanez. And that can go both ways, guys. Tory Lanez could have felt some type of drama, okay? You know, uh, you know, he could still, he could, you know, say to himself, well, the reason why he didn't come forward because he didn't trust the police at that time because the, you know, if you look at all the examples of trusting the police, trusting the process, it's not good if you're an African-American, all right? He can use that or the trauma, the trauma that he was involved with, with, uh, Meg Thee Stallion if you believe the stories that are coming out about Meg Thee Stallion. He has a very valid point and valid argument. You know, people handle trauma differently. Okay? So, when I listened to my video, I was talking about accountability. And 
I and when I say that, I'm being a little too insensitive. I'm being I'm not being sensitive enough for Tory Lanez and Meg Thee Stallion. To me, that's what when I listen to it, I come across that where I'm going like, wait a minute, that don't sound right. That's that sounds like. You know, you're not very sensitive to the individuals. You, you know, you're, you're being a little bit too harsh, right? That's how I interpret it, okay? And I can see people listening to that and being hardcore saying, yeah, you right, Meg the Stallion should be held accountable. Yeah, you right, uh, Tory Lanez is not a victim and, and this, that, and the third that's not where I was coming from, okay? And if you interpret it that way, I'm going to go ahead and apologize and I should have used better words, okay? But what I am saying is people handle trauma differently, male or female. And yes, there is a, a presence, particularly in the African-American community, about trusting law enforcement in the times we're living in you just don't trust them are they going to be you know in a lot of examples when it, when you're dealing with law enforcement they're more foe than friend when it comes to victims in the african-american community okay so yeah she does have a point there that it really makes sense all right but at the same time, I really didn't have a lot of information from Meg. Not to say she was wrong, but you really haven't heard anything until the you know until she did an IG video, all right? And to that, I say this: really, I don't take videos from your own personal account, from your own personal page as valid information. Because there's going to probably be stuff that uh, you don't go into details about, that you're leaving out. Not to say that she was, but you can't just base all of your thought process on an IG video from Meg Thee Stallion. Just like I didn't, you know, take... My mindset was when Tory Lane, his publicist, came out and released statements and things of that nature, I didn't take that with, a game, with, a, with, 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 with an ounce of salt. I felt like... Um, I felt like, um, you know, they're, they're spinning the narrative. And I said this in the episode uh, last week. You know, there's three sides to a truth. Her side, his side, and the truth. And right now, we're just listening to her side and his side, but we no one fully knows what happened. We can all speculate. We can all uh you know you know read the transcripts of other people that witnessed it, okay? And you're gonna have people that are gonna be favorable. Their story is going to be consistent and favorable to Meg Thee Stallion. And their story is going to be fair, uh, consistent to Tory Lanez. I mean, when they was at the party, I feel like there's, they're a tale of two stories. 
when they was at the party, there's a lot of uh, uh, data out there that lines up with what Tory Lanez is saying. However, when you talk about going to her house and uh, when she left uh, the vehicle, there's a lot of data that suggests that it lines up with um, Meg The Stallion. So you got like two stories going on. But when you try to add those two stories together, they don't match very well. So I just want to throw that out there. If you interpret it and, and this is this is on me. I shouldn't have said there are no victims. Now, I cleaned it up that episode, but still. When I said that there are no victims, there are victims. Okay, there, there, there's, you know, there's victims. Meg Thee Stallion is a victim, all right? And if you believe what happened at the party, it's uh, 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 Tory Lanez could be a victim, a possible victim. And I feel like the police, they're trying to piece all this stuff together with little cooperation and... Not to, uh, you know, uh, not to say that they're not cooperating. It's just uh, when you talk, when you're dealing with mixed diagnosis position, she really don't trust the police and I don't blame her. Okay. And when you're dealing with Tory Lanez, he might have those, he might echo those sentiments. I don't blame him either, but we're going to get to the truth. Okay. When you got a lot of time and opportunity, you're going to get to the truth. Right now, we're just hearing what Meg is saying, what Tori is saying, but we don't know the full truth. And when that time comes, when the police reach a statement, an official statement, when they get all their data and they get all the witnesses lined up and they report and document and stamp and, and, and this, that, the third, we're going to finally, finally, finally get the truth. And I know a lot of people are going to say, so you're going to trust everything what the police say? Well, if they have better data and data than uh, Meg and Tory Lanez, and they got witnesses, they got video footage, they got pictures, and when they can, when they do an official statement, they're going to, they're not going to give us the whole bag, but they're going to give us enough bag to, we're going to be like, oh, so that's what went down. And we're all going to have that all moment. You're going to have people on Tory who are defending Tory Lanez. They're going to go like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, well, I got to I got to change of perspective about Tory Lanez. And when you got people that are for Meg Thee Stallion, they're going to go, oh, I can see how it went. They, OK, well, I got to change. I got to change my perspective on Meg Thee Stallion. And that's what happens. OK, it happens in life. When you're, you know, when you align yourself up with these people like they're your friend, family, like they're your friends and family, and you're for them, and when you finally get all the information at your disposal, you may have a different perspective. Not to say that Meg Stein is not a victim. Not to say that Tory Lanez may be a victim. I'm just saying when you get all of the data, the research and the information, you're going to have a different conclusion. I feel like we all going to have a different conclusion where we're going to have to step back a little bit and reevaluate and recalculate what 
uh, we're standing for and what we're saying. That's that's all I'm saying. Right now, nobody knows nothing. Okay, I don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. A lot of these blogs don't know nothing. YouTube content creators don't know nothing. A lot of podcasts that are talking about this subject. Nobody knows nothing. Okay, so we just don't. All right. So I just want to clear the air. I was wrong for what I said. Uh, but I elaborated in last week's video and I'm making sure I'm la- uh, elaborating today uh, what I meant about that and what I changed about that uh, that stands. OK, uh, so, uh, you know, I-, I felt like I should have said uh, I- to me. I felt like I should have. Um, I-, I have to talk about this. I just had to, because when I listened to it, I can understand how people would take it the wrong way because of what I said and what I coast. And, you know, one thing I don't, I don't co-sign to everything. You know, I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. Okay. Everybody could be totally wrong. But as of right now, nobody knows what happens, what happened between those two. Okay. We have some ideal but we just don't, we don't really know the truth, okay? So I wanted to throw that up in the air just in case if you listened to last week's episode. I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, how I felt moving forward. And like I said, we only know her side. We only know his side, uh, but we really don't know the actual truth. And I did say that consistently throughout that episode. Okay, guys, I'm done. I will see you guys next week. Peace. Outro.